Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald face truth. Well, there's no news out of the college football playoff commissioner group. The presidents and chancellors got some business done. You know, we're going to expand this thing. College football is anyway. They're going to make a mint off of it. The presidents and chancellors have decided that uh, they would like the landscape of college athletics to settle the heck down. But the commissioners of the conferences today came out of their meeting with no news. Is no news good news or bad news? In the case of the conference commissioners and trying to decide if they can accelerate the college football playoff, I'm not necessarily optimistic that they're going to get it done. Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, speaking at the Oregon-Georgia game, just about a week ago, said he wasn't sure that it could get done before 2026. Are they motivated? Get busy living, get busy dying. What do they need? A pep talk? Let's send. Uh, let's send the hype guy over there. Do we have a hype guy on this show? Who's our hype guy on this show? Can we just send him over to the conference commissioners meeting? They're going to meet again later this month in Chicago. We ought to send our hype guy over as they're walking into the meeting. Give him a little. Come on now. Let's get this done. Let's do what's right for the game. College football and the landscape of college football teetered a little bit, wobbled certainly in the last few months as USC and UCLA jumped from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. We saw all the money infused into that conference via Fox and some other partners. The SEC has their deal with ESPN. Pac-12 and Big 12 still bickering. A lot of tension there, a lot of backbiting there. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com, and if you subscribe there, whether you get a free subscription or a paid subscription, you know what I'm talking about here. Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner, is uh, off the rails a little bit again in the last couple days. In the last 24 hours, he's, he's been on this listening tour, and when I go on a listening tour, I would, I would venture to say that I'm listening. Yormark's not listening, and maybe it's just his style. He seems to be a little edgy little out there. He's a marketing guy. Uh, Jay-Z's Rock Nation, that's where he came from. Uh, he went from there to being the Big 12 commissioner. But your mark is uh, doing more talking than listening in the last uh, 36 hours at least. And, and, and look, I don't blame the guy. Like, I got a bunch of Big 12 fans who are in my timeline. We're all upset in a tizzy. Uh, BYU fans, West Virginia fans, all these fans in a tizzy over, you know, oh, are you calling out the Big 12 commissioner? No, I'm just saying... His style is diametrically opposed to the style of George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner. Like, there's no, there's no two ways about it. They are both trying to advocate for their conferences. Klyovkov's doing it behind the scenes, not by lobbing continual grenades at the Big 12. Now, Klyovkov did sort of lose the collegial act on Pac-12 Media Day, and he did say some things about the Big 12 conference, but he did so, and he explained why he did so, because he felt like the Big 12 Conference was continually taking shots at his conference. Here's what Klyovkov said. 
you know, at some point you get tired of people trying to destabilize your conference and you got to hit back a little bit. And listen, I think in the grand scheme of things, having a healthy Big 12 and a healthy Pac-12 would be good. You know, to have both those in the Power Five and to have those votes in the room would be helpful. Um, at the same time, you know, we've been taking shots for the last four weeks and I was just tired of it. I kind of am wondering if, you know, I keep thinking who benefits from the Pac-12 and the Big 12 being at each other's throats. Is it possible that the SEC and the Big Ten are cool with what's going on, the tension, the backbiting, all the infighting that is going on between these other conferences? It's also possible that Yormark just is trying to signal to his bosses uh, that he's really busy and he's working. But he came out after making a visit to Cincinnati, and he said that the Big 12 Conference would like to expand and they'd like to go west. And he talked about the fourth time zone took a shot basically at the Pac-12 and saying they want to get into the Pacific time zone. And here's what he said word for word. He said, quote, he's looking for a program that has national recognition, one that competes at the highest level in basketball and football, stands for the right things, and is a good cultural fit. He did not specify a individual school. But when he said out west, I went to San Diego State. Then I thought about Fresno State. Maybe he's interested in Portland State. Who knows? Maybe the Vikings are going to the Big 12. I don't know. I, I thought about Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona State, but they aren't in the fourth time zone. Uh, I did reach out to one of those ADs at one of the Four Corners schools, and that athletic director came back and said, I have no idea what he's talking about. He just continues to throw stuff out to disrupt. Seems like some level of desperation, end quote. I don't necessarily know that it's desperation. I think Brett Yormark in the, in the Big 12 conference wants his bosses to know he's working his butt off. When he doesn't land Arizona or Utah or Colorado or Arizona State, when he doesn't get San Diego State, when the Pac-12 signs a media rights deal with ESPN and is on your television in the foreseeable future and pulls itself together, maybe your Mark wants to have the ability to go, hey, man, I tried. You heard me throughout the process. I was talking. I was saying all the right things. Gosh, I was working so hard it didn't get done. I don't know. I don't know if that's his style or not. But he's kind of like this chihuahua who's in the background yapping, 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 like the neighbor's chihuahua. And, and at some point I expect that big, you know, the Big 12 Conference will try to make a move, but they are just off adding a bunch of universities. They are in transition themselves. They're trying to negotiate a meteorites deal for their own conference. And in the end, I'm kind of wondering if this is just a stylistic thing, that he's 180 degrees different than George Klyovkov when it comes to his operating style. Because Klyovkov is, outside of the media day appearance, has been silent. I reached out to him twice at various points, asked him for comment on various things. He came back with, I would love to talk with you when I'm able to talk. And he has basically just remained quiet. Meanwhile, your Mark is doing a listening tour, but he's doing all the talking. So it's a very different approach. Even last Saturday in Atlanta, Klyovkov was there. He was at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Um, I published a picture of him on, at johnconzano.com. He's down on the field. The photographer that I hired got a photo of him, and uh, I put it in the photo gallery for the Oregon-Georgia game. Uh, but Klyovkov was there, but not talking. Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, was there but did talk. It's a very different approach. we got a great show for you today. Jaden Grant will be on the show today. Uh, the team captain and the reigning Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week will be with us. 
We'll hear from Paul Leffler. He's the voice of Fresno State Athletics. Fresno State hosting Oregon State on Saturday, 7.30 kickoff. It's only about 106 degrees today, 109 degrees, I don't know, in Fresno. Uh, they're uh, expecting uh, the temperature on Saturday to be in the 90s, maybe the kickoff temperature in the high 80s. We'll talk to Paul Leffler about what that environment will be like. I will ask him about Fresno State's aspirations to get into the Pac-12 conference. Also on today's show, I'm really excited about this one, Jeff Tedford coming on the program, former Oregon assistant coach, uh, longtime successful play caller. He's not calling the plays anymore at Fresno State, but he is the head coach, and he's got a quarterback in Jake Hayner that uh, aims to make life uncomfortable for the Beavers. So we're going to be all over the Fresno State-Oregon State game in particular today. We will talk about the Ducks and what they need to prove. An interesting development in the recruiting world for Oregon as their four-star basketball commit uh, it has now indicated he wants to play football in high school. Oh, yeah. I think it's really exciting to see uh, what is going on. But uh, we're talking about Jackson Shellstad, the West Lynn High School product. He apparently has clearance from Dana Altman. He's going to play high school football this year. I got to think Dan Lanning and his coaching staff are going, well, wait a minute. Is that a wide receiver we can have in the lineup? I want you to leave it here. Coming up, Paul Leffler, voice of Fresno State Athletics. What is Oregon State in store for as they head down to the Central California Valley? Uh, Leffler will join us, lay it out for us. Right after him, Jaden Grant, team captain at Oregon State. It's going to be a fast-moving show here on a Thursday. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Well, this is a blast from the past for me. When I was in Fresno working at the Fresno Bee, I got to know Paul Leffler a little bit, and he has become an institution there in Fresno. He is voice of the Bulldogs now. And, you know, I remember you from TV and doing some radio, but, you know, like like calling all the games and being the voice, that's that's pretty cool, man. Welcome, Paul. Hey, great to hear your voice, John. Did you say I need to be institutionalized? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Just, did... <laughs> well, some might say that, but, no, it is, it's a privilege. And, you know, um, we honored at the first game the late Bill Woodward, who you remember, yeah. who, who did this for 37 years before I had that privilege. And the Bulldogs are actually wearing a sticker on their helmets all year with a BW on there for Bill. So it's uh, when you think about some of the other people who've had this job, like Lon Simmons and Gus Zerniel and Bill, it's uh, just a great privilege to serve what we call the red wave out here in the Valley. I've tried to explain to the audience sort of the charm of the Central California Valley. When you tell people, if you're traveling, what do you say about the region? Well, you probably eat something that grew here, right? I mean, everything grows here. We feed the world. We really do. And it, it's great people. And I know I've been up there in the Willamette Valley, too, and there's a, you know, a lot of similar mentality, I think, and, and similar people around Corvallis and Eugene and some of the other great towns and maybe sneaking up into Portland, too. But, um, you know, it's just hardworking people. That a lot of people say the Central Valley would be the Midwest of California, or the Texas of California, or some say the Bible Belt of California because it's a little more conservative than the Bay in L.A. But uh, I just, you know, it's a diverse group. You have all kinds of different cultures, and Fresno State football is one of those things that brings a lot of that diversity together behind a common purpose. 
the temperature there has been on the minds of people in our region. Oregon State obviously playing there on Saturday. It's a night game, but give us an idea of what this week has been like and how unusual the heat has been and what you guys do there to deal with it. It has been unusual. There's actually been a little bit of humidity, which, you know, we always say, yeah, it gets up to 110 in the summer every once in a while, but it's a dry heat, and it hasn't been as dry. And I guess that has to do with what's happening, you know, down in the South Pacific and all that. But it has been pretty warm. The Bulldogs typically practice in the mornings, so they're done before the real heat. But, man, you walk outside, you feel it. You are in an oven. And I think by game time Saturday night, it's going to cool off into the 90s, and, and the folks from Corvallis won't be worried about it too much. But yeah, 90s I, I just, at night. Yeah, <laughs> cool off yeah. in the 90s, yeah. But it's going to be packed. That's the exciting thing, John. I mean, I know you were here in 2001 when Jonathan Smith was a quarterback and the Bees were number one in the preseason and all that, and that place was absolutely rocking. And that's what the buzz around here is, that Fresno State fans want to recreate that kind of atmosphere. The, yeah, give us an idea of, you know, the atmosphere at the stadium. And, you know, it's funny because, like, UCLA fans do not show up when, they, when it gets into the 90s. We were just talking about that last week. But the Fresno State fans, you know, it, it, this, is, this is part of the culture of the city and the region and people buying in with the Valley and, and supporting that program. And the expectations this year are so high, you know, with Jeff Tedford back, with Jake Hayner back, with depth and frontline talent all over the field. You know, people really believe that this can be a special season. And I didn't expect to see 36,000 there on a Thursday night for Cal Poly to open the season, which got more impressive over the weekend when you saw how thin the crowds were at UCLA and San Diego State, some of these other places. So, yeah, this is a fan base that loves its Bulldogs. Maybe a little bit of a front-running crowd. You know, they want to see a winner. I know you were here for the Tarkanian days when Selland Arena was sold out every night. Uh, but they see a product and a potential in this year's Bulldog squad that they're going to show up for. So I, I do expect it to be a sellout Saturday night. When I think of Jeff Tedford, I think of offense. How did they look to you in week one, and uh, what should we expect here on Saturday night? You know, it's a little hard to get a solid read because they took the liberty of experimenting significantly with the offensive line. I mean, the first five series were five different groupings on the O-line, and I don't know if I've ever seen that in a football game before. But Jake Hayner was incredibly consistent. I mean, Hayner completed 36 out of 42. He's got so many weapons. They're so deep at receiver. They've got a lot of talent at tight end, too. Maybe not quite as deep in the backfield. But they got creative. You know, we saw the Cal transfer Nico Remigio lining up in the backfield on multiple times. He scored a rushing touchdown. It's one of those things where if you give Hayner enough time, somebody's going to be open and he's accurate enough to hit him, and the scoreboard's going to light up. And, you know, it'll be interesting to me to see that offensive line against the Beavers' D-line, to see how creative Oregon State gets in trying to apply pressure on Hayner. Because if he's able to sit back there and slice and dice, uh, man, he's as good as anybody in the country. How does Fresno State on the defensive side of the ball in your mind? You know, they're pretty high expectations. Kevin Coyle, who was the coordinator way back in the Pat Hill era and has been so many places since in the NFL, been on a national championship staff at LSU. He really knows his stuff. He's a creative mind. There's some depth on this D. A lot of all-time great Fresno State players are the position coaches on the line and linebacker in the secondary. So there's a lot of expectation and confidence. Uh, I think the, the first game, there were a couple hiccups. They didn't generate the kind of pass rush they know they're going to need to, but they tackled pretty solid. And I think the real interesting matchup 
to me this Saturday night is Fresno State secondary against what appears to be a really quick receiving core for Oregon State and a quarterback in Nolan who throws a really good deep ball. So if he's able to launch a few of those, how does that battle unfold? And is there going to be a moment? You know, the turnover battle was so big for the Beavers against Boise State. Is there going to be a moment in this game where you see that game-changing turnover? And is it Fresno State's D that comes up with it or the Beavers? Paul Leffler is with us. He's the voice of Fresno State Athletics joining us. Uh, Bulldogs at, uh, is it Bulldog Stadium now, or did they change the name of the stadium? The, this is the first year with a different name, and it's Valley Children's Stadium. Uh, the naming rights were purchased by a, a premier children's hospital here in the Central Valley. So we're all still getting used to calling it something other than Bulldog Stadium, but it's still Jim Sweeney Field yeah. for the uh, legendary coach. Yeah, give give you know Oregon State fans and people in our region an idea. Like, you know, the visiting locker room, as I remember it, is away from the stadium. You got to walk kind of on the sidewalk. You come down the ramp. That is a pretty, uh, you know, significant. You know, you're walking and the fans are out there. And I, I can remember people yelling at the opposing teams. I think it's a really tough place to play. It is, and that's reflected by so many teams who come in here. That dynamic that you're talking about, they used to call it the Red Mile. You know, kind of like the Green Mile, because you'd see all these fans everywhere, and they are. They're yelling. It's probably not something you could air on the radio, some of the stuff they're saying. Uh, there might be spit flying. I mean, just because they're yelling so loud, I don't know. But they have reined that in a little bit because they've shielded some of those areas. They put up a big fence, so when you're coming down that ramp, instead of the, the fans being right there, they're on the other side of a fence. So they can rattle that fence. They can still yell, but it's not like they're breathing on you like they once were. Give us an idea of what winning this game would mean for that program. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Fresno State has aspirations of being in the Power Five. And, you know, I know the Beavers are, are in that situation, too, where they want to stay in the Power Five. And it feels like those dreams are at a some kind of junction where they're either going to be fulfilled or they're going to be crushed forever. So this season feels very significant. You know, in the off season, the USC game next week is what a lot of the fans are talking about. But after watching what the Beavers did to Boise State, I think the fans said, hey, we better pay some attention to the Beavers. But this win, I think, carries this momentum forward for another week. It gives them the opportunity to have an even more significant win on the road against the top 10 team. Uh, so it's all about momentum at this point. But anytime you beat a Pac-12 team, it's a big deal. Pat Hill, as you remember, used to put those helmets up as trophies in his hallway anytime he beat a Power 5 school. <laughs> there are quite a few of them by the time he was done. But this would be a big one for Jeff Tedver. You know, I won at the Rose Bowl last year with Hainer at quarterback in that classic. He's had some other impressive wins here, beat Arizona State in the bowl game. But when you get a Power 5 team at home as a group of five school, you better seize the moment. Give me an idea of, you know, I, I kind of wondered if the Fresno State players who are especially from the Los Angeles area might look ahead to USC. Is that a concern? I don't think so. You know, Jeff Tedford is so good about consistency, about routine, about attention to detail, about reining things in if anything gets out of line. I know he's convinced them of what a significant challenge this game's going to be. And they all watched the film against Boise State. They saw a dominant performance from Oregon State in all three phases of the game. So they know there's very little margin for error. Uh, I think they have a feeling this is going to be a four-quarter football game, and they're going to have to do everything right to get a win. So I, I don't think anyone's looking past the Beavers to USC. 
Um, maybe some of the fans are, and, and it probably doesn't help that the group of alumni being honored this week is the 1992 Fresno State team that beat USC in the Freedom Bowl. Mm. It just so happened to work out that way. So maybe that takes some of the fans' vision ahead to USC, but I, I think in the locker room these guys are all focused on the Beavers. Paul Leffler is our guest. He's the voice of Fresno State Athletics. All right, you mentioned a couple of things that you know were keys to the game, but tell me you know, if Fresno State wins this game, we're looking at the box score, Paul, after the game. You and I are looking over the box score. What would you expect to see on that box score, maybe jump out on that box score, if Fresno State is winning this game? Well, I think time of possession is going to be key because the Beavers are a huddle team and they want to win that time of possession battle. And Jeff Tedford has been pretty good at that throughout his career. So, you know, I, I think if you see a decided edge in that one way or the other, that's going to tell a story. I think for Fresno State to win, that turnover number needs to be zero or maybe one if they're able to take it away once or twice. And the other thing that, uh, you know, I think you may see in that box score that could be pivotal, and fans remember the 01 game and the 03 game here, and special teams was big in both of those. I think special teams could very well be a factor in this one. So whether that's a kickoff that goes to the house or a blocked field goal or a blocked punt, I just have a feeling we're going to see something like that in this game that may end up being the difference. You mentioned expansion. Uh, the Pac-12 is exploring it. San Diego State, Boise State, Fresno State, SMU. We've talked about all these schools. Make a case for Fresno State to our listeners. Why do they belong in the Pac-12? Well, I think if you look at it from a competitive standpoint, John, I mean, they've belonged for a long time. When they get an opportunity to play Pac-12 teams, they compete. I mean, we've seen it on the gridiron. They, any Pac-12 team that's played them, They've been able to beat at one point or another, uh, certainly in baseball. You know, right after the Beavers had their back-to-back titles, there's Fresno State winning it all in Omaha. They've proven they can compete. There's a softball national championship. Basketball hasn't had the sustained success, but there have been those windows where they were really good, and they have a great arena that's comparable to anything in the Pac-12 and superior to quite a few in the Pac-12, to be honest. I think the one thing that may hold them back is the academic profile. There are some limitations being in the CSU system, the California state system, that they're trying to push back on and and maybe be able to elevate some research and some degree offerings. Uh, But when you look at the potential of this area, and we know how California has grown and expanded. I mean, there's a lot of eyeballs here. The, The television numbers are solid. There's a good population base. It's fertile recruiting ground. Uh, But more than anything, I think it's a community that has shown historically it will support these athletic programs. They got the stadium built in the first place. They got an arena built. Uh, They've had some some real glory days and some times where the community fueled the success of the program. And I think if they had access to a Power 5 schedule, we'd see that at a greater level. So I think they've been ready for a long time in many ways. But there are just some arbitrary boundaries that uh, I think a lot of people felt would never come down. And with this crazy world we live in now where UCLA and USC can go to the Big Ten, it feels like a lot of those boundaries we thought were there aren't really there anymore. It's a great point. Fresno State, Oregon State, in Fresno, 730 Saturday night. It's going to be an oven there. Paul Leffler, thank you for joining us. I appreciate you, man. And I'll tell you three guys who will try to get Fresno State in the Pac-12. How about Aaron Judge, Devontae Adams, and Derek Carr? Let's throw in Paul George, too. I mean, that doesn't hurt the case either, John, when you have guys doing that kind of stuff at the highest level and Fresno State's their alma mater, right? Love that. Hey, Leffler, I'll see you in the press box. Thank you, man. Looking forward to it.
Good stuff there. Paul Leffler, he's the voice of Fresno State Athletics. Jaden Grant may have something to say about it, though. Oregon State's team captain coming up. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, you want to kick the college football season or the weekend off right? Kick it off with Jamba. Stop by one of your locally owned and operated Jamba locations today or download the Jamba app and start earning points now. Jaden Grant, Oregon State team captain, joins us every week courtesy of Jamba. I believe he has a Jamba that is, like, personalized. Tell me about this Jamba, Jaden. So it's it's a uh, Jamba juice. It's one strawberry wild, one Caribbean passion, and they both have um, two of Jamba's new boba flavors in it. And so we kind of collabed up to uh, make a new smoothie called Jaden's Boba Jam, and then uh, some of the proceeds get given to uh, my father's foundation, the Brian Grant Foundation. I love that. So when I go into a Jamba location, t- tell me again what I'm supposed to order because that helps your dad and his foundation yeah. and helps a bunch of people who are, uh, you know, dealing and facing uh, Parkinson's. And So what do, what do we order? Yeah, exactly. So um, it'll be in select stores in, in the Portland area as well as Corvallis, and it's called Jaden's Boba Jam. You should see a, okay. a poster in the lobby if it's available. All right, Jaden's Boba Jam. All right, I like that. Uh, all right, all right, listen. Reigning Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week. Like that, man. You had a great game. Thank you. I appreciate it. What that interception feel like? How did it feel really good? Uh, yeah, it just felt good uh, to you know have some success early in the game. Um, I think it was our second turnover of the day, and it, uh, it came at a, a pretty good point uh pretty good spot of the game which turned up into some points for us so it was just good to get that momentum going for the whole team i tell you what i thought when i saw it because a lot of times you'll see the safety in that situation who is watching the receiver and the ball get got overthrown a little bit at what point did you know that ball was going long yeah exactly um just you know being on being on my work being on my keys and practice we work on you know detailed post safety work and you know, saw saw the receiver coming over the field, but just kept my eyes on the quarterback and weaved a little bit. And then I actually just had a pretty good break on the ball, and uh, seeing it was overthrown, and just you know had to get down there and grab it. I thought your basketball skills helped you a little bit there. I mean, you you don't see DBs with hands like that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think I think that has, that is something that you know helped me I'm become a little bit more coordinated with uh, catching the ball. It's always been something that uh, I've, I've been pretty good at. Jaden Grant with us, Oregon State team captain, defensive back. You're going into the oven this weekend, Fresno State. It's going to be hot there, expecting high 80s. It's been warm here, so I don't think that'll be a major factor. But I've been hearing a lot of talk out of Fresno about how good the receiving core is and how they're going to go after the sophomore. And you guys take that personally? I mean, we, we approach every game the same way. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about having faceless opponents and worrying about all about us because when we feel like when we focus all about us and, you know, we're on our work every single snap, um, you know, that, then we'll play to the best of our abilities. So, um, you know, we try to we try to not listen to any of the outside noise. But, um, you know, in terms of who we're facing, uh, we know we have an amazing opportunity ahead of us. You know, we know we're, we have some talented receivers, you know, and uh, they're going to come out and they're going to attack us. I um, mean, we're going to put the same way. You know, we're not going to back down and we're not going to change the style of play because of who we're playing. We're going to play the exact same way, which is, you know, kind of in-your-face football. So um, I'm excited to see how it goes. 
I was trying to explain to somebody who was watching your game against Boise State how important it is for the guys up front to not just to make tackles, but to disrupt things and uh, the pressure they can put on a quarterback by you know messing up the timing of a play. But also, those guys keep blockers off your linebackers and off your defensive backs. That it's sort of a team concept. What has it been like, or what was it like? I guess last week to have a game where. You know, you had got a lot of guys making tackles at the line of scrimmage and disrupting things. Yeah, it's a great, it's an amazing thing. You know, our big guys do such a good job of working for us up front. Um, so, you know, we try to reward them on the back end by, you know, really challenging routes and making that quarterback hold onto the ball as long as possible. You know, they're working the same way, just vice versa. Um, so it's an amazing thing to have so many guys working. But it's a, that's the thing, uh, you know, about our, our defense under Coach Braze. You know, that's how we're taught to play. We're going to attack defense. You know, we're going to attack the line of scrimmage. We're going to attack the pocket versus pass. Um, and then you have the back end, the second and third level, you know, flowing as well to run um, at all times. So uh, that's the amazing thing about our, our defense and how we're supposed to play. Um, you know, it's really all about playing game the right way. You know, always 11 guys flying to the football. 6-0 and at home last season, 1-6 and away from Reeser Stadium. What needs to change for you guys to get the result on the road? Um, like I said, you just have to worry about the, uh, worry about the snap in, snap out basis. Um, I really think it starts with preparation, and, you know, and how we prepare. Um, you know, our energy coming into games, it's, it's a lot easier to have great energy when you're, you know, playing in Research Stadium in, in front of the Beaver Faithful, because we know how much of an advantage it is playing at Research Stadium. Um, so when we go on the road, it's just got to be the same outside that it's all about us. You know, we have to bring our own energy, um, start fast, and at the end of the day, it's all about the execution. So um, we just have to execute. And uh, we know when we're on the road, uh, we have to go out there and take it. Jaden Grant with us. This interview brought to you by Jamba. He is Oregon State's team captain, defensive back. Um, you know, you've been there a while, so you can speak to this. Like, you know, from the outside in, it just felt like last week you guys were playing with a lot of confidence. And it's not sudden. You can see it building over the last year and a half, two years. How different does it feel? Give me an idea of how different it is now than maybe two, three years ago inside the program. Yeah, I think I think it's a completely different feel as far as the result out there. Um, I think the process has always been the same as far as the coaching staff and what they preach to us, um, the messages that they try to instill into us um, to, to play with confidence and play at full speed. I think it's just how we're gelling together. I mean, you know, you have so many guys who've been out there for so long with the same, you know, similar group of guys around them. So it's just about having the utmost trust and belief in your teammates that, you know, if I do the job to the, if I do my job to the best of my ability, I trust that my teammate's going to do his job to the best of his ability. And, um, you know, that's how the defense all comes together. So I think that's why you see us playing with so much confidence. Like, um, you know, DB's on the back end. We know that we can hang in there and really get in your face, press you, and challenging you on the, in the back end, especially on passing downs, because like you said earlier, you know, our front is going to go over and they're going to attack and insult that pocket. So um, I think that's the biggest thing, just our confidence and belief that we have in each other. These are the kinds of games good teams go on the road and win. I mean, Fresno State's a good team. They've got an offensive-minded coach. They're going to try to put all kinds of pressure on you. But I, I feel like you guys are up for that challenge. Um, you know, coming out of last weekend's game, how did you feel like you played? How close to your best game did you guys play? Um, I don't think you ever really play your best ball. I don't think you ever play the ball that you want to play. Um, I don't think there will ever be a time where I'll leave a game and I say, man, you know, I don't need to watch the tape because I just had such an amazing game. Like, there's always things that 
you want back in a football game. Um, that's just part of the game. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing, and that's the biggest challenge, is not only the adversity of responding after a loss, but responding after you have success. You know, how much can, how much better can you get? How much attention to detail, anxiousness, you know, energy can you have about making improvements to a game that was deemed that successful in your mind? Um, so I think that's the biggest challenge, and I think that is what, you know, we're all looking forward to this week, is to seeing, you know, how much can we improve from game one to game two, and that's what it's all about. Jaden Grant is with us. Um, you know, you guys, uh, I did mention the heat earlier, but, you know, Jonathan Smith said yesterday, hey, it's been warm where we are. How will you guys or how are you already sort of preparing for what will be a warm Saturday night? I mean, just, just by hydrating. I think, um, you know, our, our nutritionist, we got a new, new nutritionist this year, Nick Farrell. He's done an amazing job, you know, for all of us. Um, throughout the whole entire offseason. But he's been really big on every single day getting each guy, you know, the thing that they specifically need for hydration. Um, so, you know, we've been hydrating all week. You know, we, we got a little bit of heat, which we're, you know, thankful to get out here at practice, but not, not as hot as it will be. Um, but, I mean, you even see some guys, I, I wore a long sleeve all week, you know, just to be a little bit extra. Some guys wore hoodies and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, playing ball. It doesn't matter what condition it is, rain, sleet, snow, heat. Tornado, whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, we're still playing ball. So whatever the conditions are, um, you still have to play to the best of your ability. Jaden Grant is with us. Uh, I know school hasn't started yet, and but it must have been interesting to see kind of the stadium the way it was, half full, half completed last week. What was that like as a player when you kind of walked in and you looked around for the first time with, you know, 26, 27,000 fans inside there? Yeah, it, it was it was it was definitely different. I didn't think it was gonna be that different because of the whole COVID thing. But then when we went out there and uh, you know you see those new concrete kind of step things that look like stairs, and it kind of looked a little it was a little weird, but it was a cool experience because you know when you're on that side that's completely full, it's so loud and and rocking. We really can feel the energy and really feed off that energy. So you know it was amazing to be back in research in front of all of our you know great fans and um, you know looking forward to hitting this one and then. Uh, coming back home yeah it's interesting because i thought you know for at first i talked to jonathan smith about it i said you know would you rather have the fans over on the other side so your guys when they're on the sideline are looking across at what they feel like is a full stadium or do you want them behind you and now that there's been a game played there i'm kind of you know i'm curious about the energy level for the opposing team they've got silence behind them and they're looking across it feels like it's us you know us against 27,000 people if you're standing on that sideline that's got to be a pretty interesting feeling for them <laughs> yeah i mean i can't even i i haven't really played at a stadium like that i think the only time i played it when the stadium was in construction was utah uh the kobe year but there's obviously no fans there so um didn't really see how that would work but, yeah, I'm sure it must be a little different. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, we're just playing ball. So, I don't, I don't think either team really paid attention to that too much after, you know, maybe the first kickoff. All right. Looking for 2-0 and uh, this week. I guess 1-0 this week makes you 2-0. and Yep. Uh, Jaden Grant, I appreciate you coming on, making time for us. Grab that Jamba. If you bust into a Jamba juice, Jaden Grant's got one. It helps the Brian Grant Foundation when you buy the Jaden Grant signature Jamba drink. Jaden, thank you. We'll catch up with you next week. Good luck in Fresno. I'll see you down there. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, John. All right. There he is. He'll be in Fresno. He's been wearing long sleeves all week. Is that the right tactic, Stephen, for him to go and wear long sleeves at, 
at practice. I don't I don't know. I just think hot is hot. Once you get to a certain temperature, I think it's been warm in Corvallis. It's been warm, uh, more than warm in Fresno. It'll be in the eight, high 80s, I think, when that game kicks off. Doesn't really cool off in the Central Valley the way it does other places, but Jane Grant and his team facing a warm evening in Fresno. Yeah, I think it's an innovative way to do it. Like, I never thought about that, like, making yourself ultra hot throughout the week so then you're used to it by the game. I don't know that it would work. I definitely wouldn't do it because I run hot anyways, so I could play with, like, no sleeves on in the freezing cold and be fine. Uh, so I, I think it's cool that he's doing it, and it'll be interesting to see if it does actually work and he's ready to go. Uh, maybe gets another pick this week. That'd be awesome. Yeah, here's the other thing I thought about. I think Fresno's missing an opportunity. If I'm Fresno State, I am calling the stadium the oven. I am everything on the scoreboard, marketing-wise, it's all about sizzle and flames. I'm painting flames on the ramp as the players walk down, so they feel like they're walking into the fire. Like, I think that they could go all out like and embrace the idea that it's warm there. And it, I think it can mess with the opposing team, but they do none of that. Yeah, you feel in the heat, the opponents feel in the heat. Call it cooked. the oven, the red yeah, oven. Well, monetarily, how does that work? Because, you know, you had the play-by-play on earlier. He talked about how the field is named after the legendary coach, and the stadium, they just got the naming rights sold. But, you yeah. know, could you get sponsors in there for the oven? You could. Make some money off of it? They can sell anything. They can sell the naming rights on the ramp. But you could still call it Valley Children's Hospital Stadium. But you nickname it the oven. Call it the red oven. That'd and cool. everybody wears red, and there's flames there. And then when you walk, when the team walks in, they play like bacon sizzling on the, you know what I mean? It's like they could have fun with that and make it a, you know, a horrendous environment. But, you know, it's, Fresno's not going to do that. And, and here's the thing, guys. You heard the play-by-play voice. I know that market. I know the fans. They want so badly to matter. They want to be in the Pac-12. I think if Oregon State punches them in the nose, I think they're going to take it very personally on Saturday. Yeah, again, it's just like this last week against Boise State. Both of these teams and both these fan bases really feel like they should win this game. And when another team is going to come home disappointed, and I think that's what's great about Oregon State right now this year is that they've played two games, will be their second game on Saturday, but both of their games have mattered, right? And we see uh, other games that don't matter. Oregon State's playing games that actually matter. So these fans in Fresno, I'm, I'm with you. They're not gonna take it. They're not gonna take it lightly if they get uh, down in the first quarter. They're gonna. They're gonna want Fresno State to get back in it. Do you think in their heart of hearts, Fresno State fans just want one and one against Oregon State and USC, or they I want think, two and zero? I mean, I think they'd love to be two and zero. I think they know they're probably not gonna beat USC, but I I disagree a little bit with Paul Leffler, the broadcaster. I think that a lot of the LA kids on the roster probably circled the USC game and didn't notice the Oregon State game and. You know, I, I, I think they'd love to beat a Power 5 team, but I think if they could only have one win, they would take the USC game because I think it means a lot to the kids who are in the L.A. area who will be playing in that Coliseum, you know, probably for the first or last time in their careers. I agree with you 100%. I mean, I don't know that they're going to, like you said, I don't know if they're going to overlook Oregon State, but, yeah, if you choose one, you're, you're going to want to take down USC because you know a lot of those kids growing up in California, like, that's the school you go to, right? If you play right. basketball, yep. you'll probably want to go to UCLA or Arizona. But if you play football on the West Coast, it's kind of Oregon or USC. Like, those are the two schools you want to play at. And if you're down in L.A., man, yeah, that's, that's the school you want to go to. I actually think that works in Oregon State's favor. I think the fact that the schedule came out, I saw USC right behind Oregon State, and I thought, gosh, I wonder how many of those kids are going to look forward I'm not saying they're going to overlook Oregon State, but would they look forward a little bit? I think so. Coming up, we'll give our big splash. Plus, we're going to talk about a Pac-12 game in particular that has caught my attention. 
I think Vegas has the spread wrong. Might be an opportunity for you if you are a gambler or just a curious sports fan who wants to have a dog in the fight. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I think I went 9-3 and three last week on the Pac-12 games. Even against the spread, I had a couple of bad losses. I lost the Oregon game. I thought they would be close. I lost the Utah-Florida game. I thought they would be closer. And I lost the Arizona-San Diego State game. Everything else I got right with the spread. Uh, so I, I ended up, like, I, I thought I had a really bad week because I lost the high-profile games. But I cleaned up on those, you know, Stanford game, Stanford Colgate, uh, USC Rice, Cal UC Davis. I didn't miss on those ones. Um, I don't know. What does that tell me, Stephen? I need to be betting the bad games. I guess. I mean, I feel like that. Those are those are the harder games to know, right? Like with those big spreads. I never know what to do with those. So I, I think it makes you smarter. Dare I say I, smarter for games? I don't right? know if it does. Because the minute you start thinking that you're smarter, you're done. So <laughs> let's true. look. I want to look at a couple games this week here in this segment. Um, in particular, Washington State is at Wisconsin. Cougars are a seventeen and a half point underdog this week uh, at Wisconsin. They did not. Washington State did not look good in the opener against Idaho. I don't trust them. I don't, I don't want to touch this game. Uh, I at the beginning of the year, I looked at this game and thought, oh, I might pick Washington State to win it, pull off the upset. But I didn't see enough in Week One to to merit me crawling out on that limb. Stephen, did you see more? No, I didn't. I mean, how could you, right? I mean, barely beating Idaho. Idaho had two turnovers in the game to help Washington State win by seven. You didn't see enough, but but John, I keep coming back to you know before the start of the year when we we're talking about the Pac-12 preview, we all kind of liked Cam Ward and we yeah. thought he could be one of the top two quarterbacks in the Pac-12, Pac-12, maybe the best quarterback in the Pac-12. That was the that was the potential, and so again, I try not to overreact after one game. So I feel like in the back of my mind, maybe Washington State and Cam Ward can keep this game close. Maybe I'm just crazy for thinking that, but I think that you know I don't want to overreact to the one game. I think he'll he'll be more used to the his teammates. I guess I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy for this. Yeah, no, I think that there is a theory that works, and if the theory is that you don't you don't want to overreact to week one, but the spread will overreact to week one, then you bet Washington State and you take seventeen and a half points. If I have to bet the game, I would do that. I don't. I just wouldn't feel great about it. I would take Washington State in seventeen and a half because I think it's going to be like a ten point game. I got it. Wisconsin thirty one, Washington State twenty one. That's what I wrote on JohnConzano.com today. Uh, but I, I could be wrong there. I don't. I don't love that game. Yeah, the other game. And, oh, and yeah, the, uh, the over under is forty nine or uh, forty nine and a half. So it's a low total. So mm-hmm. to get seventeen and a half points, I think you're you're looking pretty good on that one. Yeah, I, I would pick Washington State. Gun to my head. Uh, the game that I like, Mississippi State at Arizona. Arizona's getting 11.5 points. Uh, I think Mississippi State's going to win the game, but I think Arizona's going to cover. It's a lot of points. I think there will be a lot of points scored in this game, but I think Arizona's going to score 35 or so. Um, I noticed 74% of the bets in Vegas are coming in on Mississippi State. So I think that the line is being driven by week one reaction to the Pac-12 teams that lost to the SEC teams. So I think everybody's going, hey, the Pac-12 is not very good. The SEC is great. That was a middle-of-the-road Florida team. But I got news for you. I think that Florida team with that quarterback is going to be really good. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, 
I think I was high on Anthony Richardson before the season. I mentioned him a few times on the show of how good I think he could be. So I think they're going to be good. The question I have about the Arizona game, John, is uh, the game starts at 8 p.m. local time. Do you think that has any effect on Mississippi State where it's going to be, what, 11 p.m. their local time? Does that have any effect in that game? I think it does. I mean, I think they're sitting around. They're not used to sitting around on a game day. I think they're traveling west. You don't see a lot of SEC teams that do that. I think there is a heat factor there in Tucson. That's why the game's starting so late. But I definitely think that could play to Arizona's favor in that game. I just think Arizona's a different team. I think I think the the public does not know yet that it's not Arizona from a year ago. So I think there's an opportunity there. I think the spread's wrong. Yeah, I think what what it, a lot of this says is when you have a good quarterback, right? James Lord may not be the best quarterback in Pac-12, but he is a very good quarterback and can get wins. It just elevates your team so much, and you saw that uh, he had three touchdowns to Cowling, who was another transfer from UTEP, who was a fourth-team All-American a season ago. So, you know, they bring in a lot of new talent. Like you said, it's a brand-new team, and I think we all have a lot of confidence in Jed Fish to turn this thing around. Maybe it's a year earlier than we think, and I, you know, if they win this game, they're going to be 2-0. and I, I think that they should be flirting with a bowl game. Like, those fans should change their expectations. If they start out the season 2-0, and beating San Diego State on the road and then Mississippi State at home, you got to be thinking bowl game if you're in Arizona. I am all about that, and I think you're right. I think Arizona will play in a bowl game. I think they're going to be bad. I think they're going to be a nice surprise this season based on what we saw. Week one overreaction. It brings us to our big splash. Let's do it. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. The college football playoff committee met today and talked about moving up the timeline, but they didn't come to a consensus. They're going to meet again later this month in Chicago, but the commissioners of the Power Five conferences plus Notre Dame's athletic director, Jack Swarbrick, couldn't come up with an easy solution to move it forward. 2026 seems to be the number. Keep an eye on that. We're going to get an expanded playoff, but we may have to wait a little bit. We'll find out more later this month. Jeff Tedford coming up. Fresno State coach, former Oregon coordinator. Who's next? BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Oregon State travels to Fresno, California, the Central Valley of California, the great agricultural community, that that space, that swath of land with a million television households between Los Angeles and the Bay Area. The Beavers are going there on Saturday night, 7.30 kickoff. They will be playing Fresno State. Jeff Tedford, the former Oregon assistant, former Cal head coach, now Fresno State's head coach again joining us how are you coach how hot it now how hot has it been this week in fresno it's been pretty warm yeah you know i we practice we're a morning practice team so it's just a little over 100 uh while practice is going on but then thankfully we're not an afternoon practice team because it got up to be about 112 in the afternoon so by that time we're all back in our offices and uh but it, it's been warm and some days are different than others because the humidity gets a little bit high you know but uh Kind of what we do here a little bit through the summer, so it hasn't been too bad. You got into this game because it 
because it's fun and you like football, I presume. But, you know, are you having fun? Like, you know, you've you've been in some different places. Uh, I think, you know, our audience has a tremendous amount of respect for what you do, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But how much fun are you having? Well, it, it is. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, being around these kids and the staff, you know, really is – it fulfills a purpose, you know. And uh, being off for two years like I was, really kind of opened my eyes to that on how fortunate we are as coaches to be in this game and be around these young people and and hopefully make a difference in their lives and have a chance to compete. Your health, you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing great. Good. Yeah, I'm doing great. I, I healed up pretty – took about a year to heal up, but then uh, then I found out quickly that retirement really wasn't for me. <laughs> people keep telling me that. The rest of us yeah. are all focused on how soon can we retire? How soon can we retire? And then I talk to retired people, especially coaches, and they're like, nah, <laughs> stay working, stay busy. Uh, what kind of perspective does that give you when you get a break like that? A totally different perspective. It really does. You know, the, the break is one thing, and I had to I had to take a break to, to kind of take care of some health uh, issues for that one year. But then after that, there's a lot of time on your hands. You know, when you're used to being a coach of, just continually grinding and, and having structure every day to something and and having a purpose every day, you know. And then you go through all the paperwork with the retirement and things like that. I kind of went through Oregon Purse stuff and all that stuff up there. And yeah. Did my days at Oregon and stuff. And so, I mean, all the paperwork was done, and, and kind of the finality of retirement just kind of hits you over the head. And it's like, wow, I, you know. Not sure if I'm ready for that, you know. So fortunately, another opportunity uh, came up to coach, and really happy where we're at. Yeah, you've got Jake Hayner at quarterback. Uh, it, it's got to be a lot of fun to work with him. Uh, you know, when when you see him, how does he compare maybe to some other guys that you've coached over the years? Yeah, he's he's a special player, a special person. Uh, he is very driven uh, to be successful. He's totally committed to the game and and to what he does, his preparation. Um, and he, he's got a, his arm talent is is as good as anybody uh, that I've coached, and and so it. Uh, but I just think his demeanor, how he approaches a game, and his preparation is is really special. And he's a great team leader. The, the team's really the team really rallies around him. And uh, you know, so he's a he's a unique guy in, in the fact that uh, not everybody prepares and grinds like he does. And so. Uh, you know, it's it's nice to see. I've known Jake for a long, long time since he's about nine years old. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, your time at Oregon. You were there from I think about '98 to 2001. A lot of success at Oregon. What what memories do you have of that time? Oh, all all great memories. Um, great teams, players, coaching staff. You know, the camaraderie that we had there. The state of Oregon, really, you know, I just really, we really enjoyed it as a family, being there to raise our kids when they were small. Um, you know, it was, we just really enjoyed Oregon a lot, you know, and, um, you know, but success always helps, and we had a lot of great players, and Coach Bellotti did an excellent job uh, with the team there, and, and um, you know, so had a lot of a lot of battles against the Beavers, and and, uh, you know, they're always hard-fought games, and so I have a tremendous amount of respect for Oregon State. Players always talk about that era at Oregon around, you know, 2000, 2001, and how Oregon probably, you know, in a four-team playoff, you would have been in there. You know, certainly in a 12-team playoff, you would have been in there. It, does, that, does that stick with a coach, or do you have to kind of mentally move on 
you know, that that, that should have been an opportunity, a window to maybe compete for a national title? Well, there's nothing we could do, you know, we could do about that now. Um, we had success, and, you know, that one year uh, beating Colorado in the Fiesta Bowl was was pretty big. Um, had a chance to go to the Rose Bowl one year, and I believe Oregon State knocked us out of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we had opportunities to do special things, and, and we won a lot of games there. And, you know, so I don't ever look back at it and say, you know, what if or have any regrets whatsoever. You know, we we did our best to – to do what we could do and and uh you know had a lot of success and some things went our way and other things didn't you know but the year that we beat colorado in the fiesta bowl i think the day after they flew me out of there i was the head coach at cal so i didn't get a chance to go back and celebrate with anybody but i want to say we ended up second in the country that year or something like that uh, so that was fulfilling that was that was a special season jeff tedford fresno state head coach is with us Everywhere you've gone, you know, you have had success. Like, you have made offenses better when you're there as a coordinator. You've made programs better. When you went to Cal, all of a sudden you were in bowl games. I think it was like eight years in a row you made a bowl game. You go to Fresno State and, you know, you win 10 and then you win 12 and you go to two bowl games. Is, is there some formula to that, that that you're doing that is it, you know, when you walk through the door, what kinds of things are you thinking about right away as a head coach? Well, I think the number one thing is just surround yourself with good people, you know, great coaching staff and people who like coming to work with every day and, and uh, really to try to, to just um, create an environment of trust and confidence, you know, and, and never look back. You know, there's been two teams that we've taken over that won one game the year before and we've kind of flipped it, but we never looked back on what happened the year before. It was just looking forward all the time. And, but, you know, I, we've been very fortunate to have a great coaching staff and and kids who really, you know, coming off one-win seasons, you know, that's not enjoyable. And so they're all really dedicated to, to turn things around. And, and so really I have a lot of uh, admiration and, and am appreciative of, of the teams that we had that bought into, you know, the things that we were doing and what our culture and and what our standards were, you know, there's nothing magical about it. I think it's just, you know, building an environment of trust and confidence. I, I got a chance to cover some Fresno State teams. I worked at the Fresno B when Pat Hill was the coach and Tark was the basketball coach. And uh, I noted right away that the kids that were playing and suiting up for Fresno State, they had a chip on their shoulder. What is that about with those kids? You know, I don't really know. I, I, what I do know is I do know that they love playing football. I know that. You know, they they enjoy the process. They enjoy the preparation. Um, but they love playing football, and they're just they're into it, you know. And I don't know why that is. Um, you know, it's maybe there is some chips on their shoulders, you know, because maybe they're overlooked or what have you. But I think it's really easy when you come to the Valley to, to really gain that sense of pride. Uh, in the tradition here, and uh, so that the kids, I think, really come together, you know, as as a team and as a family, and uh, and they're very close teams. Every team that I've been around here, at least, has been a very close knit unit, and this one's no different. You obviously got a chance to see some film on Oregon State uh, against Boise State. What'd you see? I saw a very well-coached team, very physical team, very experienced team, uh, guys who run around and play hard, um, 
And, uh, you know, their defense is very experienced, all juniors and seniors except for the corner, who's a sophomore. Um, and then on offense, you know, they're, they're built behind a great offensive line, um, you know, who Jim Mahalchuk, the offensive line coach, uh, was our offensive line coach for 10 years at Cal. And uh, so I know what kind of work he does. Uh, he does a phenomenal job. And uh, Jonathan Smith got to be around him, and I know what kind of coach he is and the type of environment he creates. And so um, I have a lot of respect for him. You know, they – they played very. They played very well as a unit. Complimentary football. You know, they play hard on defense. They got five turnovers last week, and and offensively, they can they can dominate the ball in the time of possession with the run game. But then they can hurt you with play action pass, big big plays over the top. You know, so I think it's a very strong unit, and uh, without a doubt. And you know, as we go into this new season, I, I think it's really showing up what what Jonathan has done there and the rest of his coaching staff and the team that they put together. You had a chance to coach with him at Washington and get to know him a little bit, and I do think you had an influence on him as a play caller, uh, as a consultant, and I think that's really neat. When when you are calling a game, help us out. Like, I always try to make the audience smarter, make me smarter. You're calling a game. How much of it is feel? How much of it is before the game you kind of come in with some things you want to do and then situationally you'll draw upon that? How much of it is uh, analytics-driven or field-driven, I guess, is what I'm getting at? Well, I, I think the game's changed a little bit with the analytic thing, um, you know, but um, I don't call our plays anymore. Coach Moore does here. And, um, you know, but I sat in the booth with Jonathan when he was calling the plays at, at UW, and I thought he had a great knack for calling plays. But I think it's, you know, it's through a lot of film study. You know, you, you watch a lot of film, and, you rehearse the game plan in your mind over and over. And, and I think typically good play callers know the next play before they call the first one. You know, they're setting things up uh, either for the next play or the next time they get on a hash mark or next time they get in a certain field zone. Uh, you know, they just have it in their mind about, about how they want to attack certain things and, uh, you know, and then make adjustments, proper adjustments to, to what they're seeing new from a defense. And so, um, you know, but I, I have a, you know, I don't know that I saw on the sideline, it doesn't look like Johnson's calling the plays, but I'm sure uh, he has them coached up and what he wants done. And, um, you know, so they do a very nice job. And I think the other thing is having an identity, and uh, they certainly have an identity on offense. There's no question about that they're going to come downhill at you and they're going to, but they have their gadget plays that they get you and, you know, they they make you kind of overload everything to try to stop their run, and and then here it comes a big play action or a reverse or you know a double pass or something like that. You know, so they're they're very dangerous and and they do a very nice job of play calling there themselves. Yeah, you, know, you hit on something there because we always think of coaches as control freaks, but you know, you you were a play caller. Now you are the CEO of the program. I think Jonathan's letting you know Brian Lindgren call the plays. He may be in his ear a little bit. But how hard is that a hard thing to do to give up control of something that you were in control of at a lot of different stops? It is, yeah, it is at first, and um, you know, but but I remember when I was a play caller, and if if you know, and, and thankfully people left left me alone to call plays. But I've also been from time to time where people are in your ear about, hey, do call this, call that, and 
you're trying to get in the rhythm and set things up, and then all of a sudden you have to call something different. And so I have an appreciation for the head coaches who let let the play caller do his job and uh, and not disrupt them. And sure, there may be a time where you get in, in a certain area and say, hey, how about this or how about that? But, um, you know, mainly just try to leave them alone and get get in the flow, you know, and and I have a lot of trust in our guy uh, calling plays, and it looks like Jonathan does as well. Coach, before I cut you loose, uh, you, you know, you coached a bunch of guys who have won Super Bowls, Trent Dilfer and Aaron Rodgers, been first-round picks, David Carr, Joey Harrington, Achilles Smith, uh, Rodgers, Kyle Bowler. I mean, you've been around some good ones and, and played a role in that. It, how, what does that mean to you to kind of look at that group and see what you have done to help develop them? Well, it's it's really it's really special and neat. I think you know, looking back now, at the, at the time you really don't get into that all that much of of kind of um, looking at what happened. But I think the two years of looking back and seeing how they've all grown too, you know, and and what they're doing now and and those type of things. Obviously, Aaron is still is still at it and and probably the best in the game in my opinion, but. Uh, you know, it's we went through a lot. Those guys, you know, all those first-round draft picks, they they worked very hard at it. They were students of the game, and they were dedicated to their to their work. and And uh, I felt like we all had great relationships, and and um, and so I was always really proud that they were number one draft picks, right? And, and uh, you know, but but they earned that, and that was on them. You know, I was I was just there to help guide them, but all those guys put in a lot of hard work to earn that. Back in the day at Fresno, uh, Pat Hill used to say, "Hey, throw us a bone. Let us let us have a shot to compete for a national title in a given year." And I was there when David Carr and uh, the Bulldogs were running wild. Right? It, it, this new expanded playoff. How important is it for you to see the Mountain West, to see Fresno State have an opportunity to compete in that kind of tournament? Well, I I think whether it be us or or the Mountain West or whatever, I just think expanding it is is the right thing to do. I think there's so many good college football teams out there that, uh, you know, maybe they hit their stride at a certain time in the year or what have you. Um, you know, so I, I do think that, that having 12 teams, if, if that ends up being finalized and ends a go, then, that, you know, I, I just think it's good for college football in general, not necessarily for us or, or conference or anything like that, but I think if people have special teams and special years, uh, you know, then then I think they should have the opportunity to compete for it. Coach, I appreciate you. You know, I, I, I like watching football games. Are you able? That's another question. Are you able to just watch a game ever, or are you always looking at formation, secondary coverage? You know, what's going on? What's going on on the field, or can you just sit back and watch? No, I I kind of watch it as a. I kind of watch it as a, a coach. I don't watch it as a fan. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm always pressing my remote, running it back and forth. And my <laughs> wife, watch, you know, it's like it's like you're in your office. You know, and it's it's funny how, you know, your remote control doesn't work exactly like the clicker in your office, but you're always <laughs> trying to get it to rewind. You know, so but I, I watch it more. I think, yeah, you know, the first year I had off, I think I was more of a fan, but now I I kind of watch it. I'm back to the old days of. Of kind of evaluating things and seeing what are good plays and ideas and different ways to do things. Jeff Tedford, thank you. Thank you for your time. Good luck to you on Saturday. I will see you at the stadium. John, always nice talking to you. Thank you. Take Bye. care. You see too. You.
Really interesting talk there with Jeff Tedford, the Fresno State coach. He has been, uh, people in the state of Oregon know him well, obviously, from his time at Oregon, but he has been all over from the Canadian Football League to being at Fresno State as a quarterback's coach and then a coordinator and then Cal's head coach and in the NFL with the Buccaneers, of course, and then at Washington and now back at Fresno State, uh, healthy and, and doing well. A big get for Fresno State to get Jeff Tedford back in the fold. Uh, big game coming up Saturday. It's going to be warm there. It's going to cool off a little bit for game time. But I think it'll be in the mid to high 80s at kickoff at Bulldog Stadium or whatever they're calling it now. Good stuff with Jeff Tedford. I want you to leave it locked in. You got the bald face truth statewide. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I think this could be potentially a really good or a really bad segment of radio. But I'm willing to roll the dice. Maybe it's 17 years of experience. Maybe it's the gambler in me. I don't know. Anna's popped into the studio. I have two topics I want to deal with here. First of all, I said to Anna during the commercial break, do you think we should talk about the queen? Queen Elizabeth, may her, may she rest in peace, has passed away. Anna, you said... Don't do it. Your listeners don't care. <laughs> I got in Stephen's ear during the commercial break. I said, Stephen, do our listeners care about the queen? Eh, no. <laughs> they don't care about the queen. Now, How I do, are we doing? I do think it's kind of silly that there's such a thing as a queen in uh, this era. Sure, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's kind of a ridiculous thing that I'm there's not, a monarchy yeah. and all this stuff. You and know? I'm not trying to disrespect the queen. Right. Like, you know. All due respect to somebody who was on the throne for 70 years, the longest reign in, you know, the British monarchy, right? But I just don't know that your sports fan listener... Well, can I push back listens. real quick on that? Yeah, push back. I, I love the, the sports part of this show, but, like, for example, yesterday, the Harry Styles saliva segment was my favorite segment of the show yesterday. <laughs> you know what I mean? So who cares about that? But, you know, oftentimes with the four of us, it snowballs into something else that can be kind of... Mem- Not that this is, you know, a laughing, mat- you know, a humorous thing, but uh, like Harry Styles was, but that's kind of my uh, my take on it. Yeah, Prince Sean has weighed in. He says that the monarchy is alive and well. And uh, but we went to Buckingham Palace, guys. It was it was uh, it was kind of a weird experience. And I remember Anna, we had that conversation, like you know, why there is such a thing. And by the way, it's a money drain on the uh, you know over there in the UK. It's a, it's a big. There's a big expense to having a royal family. You got security. You got a bunch of events that need to be put on. There's a there's a whole like the uh, the ballyhoo and the tomfoolery of this thing costs some money. I saw people uh, wondering whether like the the games tonight, NFL games, will have a moment of silence and respect for the Queen, and that's up for debate because a lot of people are like, wait, why would we have a moment of silence for the Queen across the, the Queen pond? would want us to play on. Uh, there is a there, Ian Rappaport is saying they're gonna have a moment of silence to recognize the passing to Queen Elizabeth. There you they go. They are. They there are. There you go. Interesting. I, can I can I respect the Queen? And now is it a king now? Is that yeah, who it is? It's King Charles, man. So he went from Prince Charles to King Charles, right? Like that. There you go. That that's how that works. Do you think he Succession. smiled a little bit? Oh, geez. do you think just for Charles? a moment he just got like Gosh. he was really sad? It was his mom. 
But do you think like the corner of his lip kind of went up just a little bit? Because oh he's been waiting a while That's to be the king. So dark. No. You well, know who it? smiled? Camilla <laughs> smiled. It is like in the radio business, like you know, for guys like me and Sean, you know, you're out, you're out, Kanzano. Well, we get a guest host. <laughs> That's you know? right. I'm sad that you're gone, but I also get to be on the radio board, so I'm yeah. excited. Kanzano's getting a heart transplant. <laughs> Sean and Steven are just like I'll be grinning. In all week. <laughs> Grinning, going, this is gonna Feel be better, great. John. He went a little short on that. I was like, "Gosh, you're hoping for his impending death." When he's talking about his mortality, you're like, "Yes, no, yes. I, 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 I don't wish, I, I don't wish evil on him." But I mean, I just want him out for a couple days. You know, give me a shot. Especially during the football season, not yeah. in the summer, huh? Yeah, you know, that summer stuff's not as good. Um, but so the queen is. Uh, is resting in peace, so to speak. Yeah, 96 years old. It's a good life. Man. That's a good life. Where are you on the moment of silence thing? Do you think it's weird that NFL games tonight will, you know, honor her passing with a moment of silence? I don't know what it's even about, moment of silence. Like, I, I, I feel like, you know, when the shooting happened in Uvalde and everybody was, you know, we, I, I was, everybody's moved by that. That's yeah. a moment of silence. Yeah. The queen, she's 96. She had a good, that's a good life. Yeah. She did a lot of good things, mm -hmm. you know, and you look back at her life and you're like, that's a, a life well lived. Like we should be applauding that. It's not a tragedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like a moment of silence should be reserved for a tragedy. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. can we have a little, uh, a little bit of guidelines on the moment of silence. So we should have like a standing ovation. Yeah. The queen is dead. and The whole stadium does the wave. Say, that's for Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. What think, a life well lived. Yeah, the monarchy would really like that. <laughs> that would go over yeah, well. Yeah, that would go over real well. Especially from Americans. Know, yeah. Right. From Americans. From those Yankees. Um, I wonder if like this is going to mend the rift between old Harry and uh, Meghan. You know? How they left their royal titles and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but wasn't their their issue was not with grandma. No, it wasn't with grandma, but I mean it, their issue know. was with the lifestyle. But what I'm saying is like with her passing, they're obviously gonna have to make their way back to England for the funeral and everything, and I wonder if that will somehow, you know, bring the I don't know, man. Together. I I kind of feel like that ship sailed because didn't they just walk away from like they didn't want to have to do all the stuff that the royal family has to do, but they still get like it's not like they're living in poverty, right? Like you know they still live in a good life and they're traveling all over. They just don't have to go to all these events and pretend to wave and be happy. I know one of the headlines I saw recently was uh, they weren't sure they could afford that mansion in Montecito they're living in. I was like, oh gosh, some serious nail biting for them. You know, they have to, you have to crawl back to the king. Yeah. <laughs> They're digging in their couch for some, some yeah. spare change for that mansion, huh? Nah, I don't think okay. it changes them at all. I have a all right, second part of this segment. The, it's more of a media strategy question. And Anna, I think you are uniquely qualified to speak on this. Brett Yormark, the, the Big 12 commissioner, has been very outspoken, uh, and he's banging the drum a lot, and he's causing a lot of unrest in the Pac-12 footprint, uh, you know, talking about he wants to go west, he wants to get into the fourth time zone, you know, uh, you know there's – Posturing like he would like to come after some Pac-12 schools um, doesn't seem like the Pac-12 is going to splinter or anything. Meanwhile, on the other side of this, George Klyovkov has been very quiet. Mm -hmm. Outside of media day where he fired back and kind of was not collegial, he has been silent. He hasn't made any public comments. There is some speculation out there that is your mark getting it right 
by showing his conference how hard he's working and talking all the time and drumming up all the conversations. Is Klyovkov missing something by either not himself saying anything or not maybe even leaking anything about their ongoing media negotiation? What's the right play? I don't think it's necessarily bad for Klyovkov to stay quiet if there's nothing to be reported right now. So, and, and I think you and I had kind of a different take on Media Day and the so-called, you know, spiciness of his comments. I was underwhelmed. I really thought, like, that they would come out on Media Day and have something much more significant to announce, something much sharper than the things that he said, something about not being open for business or something like that, right? We're not sure if we're going to go shopping there. Right, yeah. that. So I needed more. I needed more of a punch back. And so far we haven't heard it. And I'm okay that he hasn't done that if there isn't significant progress being made. What if he, his plan is to come out with a massive announcement that is overwhelming and that's why we were so quiet. And that is actually my hope. I mean, I know, like, you know, technically as journalists, we're neutral parties to all of this, and we're just kind of talking about it. But I, I do hope for the Pac-12 and the health of the conference's future that he does have something big in the works that he's waiting to announce because it just impacts so many people and so many schools and so many student-athletes, you know, all along this western seaboard. So that is my hope that he's like a lion waiting and waiting, you know, lying in wait and going to come out with something that is impactful. Because um, my, my the short term, my theory on your mark in the Big 12 is that he knows there's I, I think he's got very few options. They they they're not going to have a media deal done before the Pac-12. Yeah. I don't think they're going to add any Pac-12 members because I think those members are all going to sign back on with the Pac-12, including Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. And I think he's kind of done expanding. So I think he's making noise now so that later the perception is he was working and scrambling behind the scenes all the time. He didn't get anything done, but, man, he was out there working. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's fine. If Looking you, busy when you're not really busy. Sure. And that's fine if he wants to do that. But the problem with that is that if you truly don't get anything done, your words come back and bite you in the you know what. And so there is wisdom, I think, in this phase for Klyovkov to hold off until there is something significant. Because if Yormark continues to blab on like this, it eventually kind of becomes white noise, right? Because you just start to not trust that his words have any significance. I asked a one of the Four Corners ADs about Yormark's quote about getting into the West and all that, because it doesn't really fit. If you think about it, the Arizona schools are not in the Pacific time zone. Utah and Colorado aren't in the Pacific time zone. So what is he really talking about when he's saying, is he talking about San Diego State or Boise State or Portland State? I don't know. So here's what, here's what the AD said to me. The AD said, quote, I have no idea what he's talking about. He just continues to throw stuff out to disrupt. Seems like some level of desperation, end quote. I don't know why, but when you wrote about that today, I kept thinking about Oregon. But it's not Oregon, right? I don't think it could be. Like, why would Oregon go to the Big 12? I know, but when he's yeah. talking about the brand and the culture and whether it's a good fit, I don't know enough about, you know, the different cultures to know whether Oregon's a good fit. But I know that you've said that you've not heard anything along those lines. Yeah, I think if Oregon jumps, Oregon jumps to the Big Ten. There's, no, I, there's not another great move. And right now, because the playoff expansion happened, 
I think Oregon, it behooves Oregon to sit tight because I think they've got a path to the playoff that's far easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to go to the Big Ten and have to get through Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State? I don't think so. So I think if you're Oregon, you sit tight. Unless the Big Ten tells you, hey, come on in, we'll give you the 70 or $80 million, uh, and you can, you can be fat and happy, and you know maybe you, you get one of those at-large berths. But if you stay in the Pac-12, I think Oregon has a chance in like a decade – like in a typical decade to get to the playoff maybe three times, four times if they have you know a great run. And so the, all of a sudden, it's kind of like Gonzaga being in the WCC. Gonzaga's got a really nice path to the NCAA tournament. They don't have to play anybody uh, you know, outside of like St. Mary's and UP and San Diego State or San Diego, mm-hmm. and, but they don't have to play the big boys to get to the big boys. They can be a one seed coming from – you know, a conference that's a small conference relative to the ACC or the SEC or the Pac-12. John, I got a question for you real quick. Um, being at Brett Yorbrook, being out ahead of everything and talking all these uh, all this nonsense, as you would say, kind of, you know, with nothing to really stick with, and Kleofkov standing in the back, that puts a lot of trust if you're a Pac-12 fan in George Kleofkov to make the right moves, and we're not hearing about it, we're not seeing any of it. And knowing the Pac-12's history, I know it's Larry Scott. He made a bad bad decisions, but it's hard to trust the conference just in general. Do you trust the conference and Klyovkov that they are making all the right moves behind the scenes and just not bringing it up? Mostly. I'm a little worried about the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. I think Klyovkov's smart, but he's dealing with some people like Michael Crow at Arizona State. They were enablers. They were enablers for Larry Scott for years, so that does make me a little uneasy. I do think Klyovkov should be talking, Anna. I think he should be talking a little bit. Do an interview. Do one interview where you say, hey, we're having tremendous discussions. We're feeling good. But I also think there's some strength in staying quiet and going, we're good, man. I don't know. That's a hard one because the people that like I consult with on, on media issues – you know, what I always tell clients is, hey, as much as possible when there's major news, you want to be the person controlling the narrative. And whether that means that you're leaking information to reporters because you don't want to be the direct source, named source on a story, or if you, you know, are selective in the interviews that you do. Generally, I do advise people to control the narrative as much as possible. And so, yeah, maybe there there is a window here where, especially with you know what Stephen is saying, there is I think distrust among the Pac-12, the fans within the conference because we got so blindsided. I mean, just the very fact that USC and UCLA were able to pull off this exit that was apparently months and months in the making, and nobody seemed to even know about it. That's a massive breach of trust for the people that you know, root for the teams within this conference. Yeah, I think that probably is what's so unsettling. But meanwhile, I do have um, a significant number of athletic directors in the conference that are willing to talk to me. They don't want their names attached to their quotes. Um, I, you know, I, th- I understand why. But it's, I feel like pretty soon the Pac-12 has got to say something. Got to take command of the so narrative. So you're in this conversation with them. Are they impatient? They are sounding like they're being communicated. They were, at the very beginning of this process, they were having daily meetings, daily Zoom meetings, okay? <laughs> yeah, because they're in crisis mode. That went on for about seven or eight days. Okay. Daily meetings. Then a weekend came, and they didn't meet. And the following Monday, I had two ADs go, hey, that was nice to okay. not have – 
like that kind of anxiety over the weekend. Okay. And now they've gone to once a week meetings. So they're kind of getting updates from the conference. And what I'm being told, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase what I'm getting from a few ADs, they feel like as long as Oregon stays in the conference, the conference stays together, the 10 members. If Oregon leaves, I had one AD say, if Oregon leaves, it's run for the hills. And, 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 and I think we all kind of knew that. I don't think that's breaking news to anybody. But he said, look, if Oregon doesn't leave, we're all we're pulling together like this is not why would anybody go to the big 12 to have <sighs> the same amount of money okay this gives me anxiety because that is just not a healthy dynamic the fact that all of these conference members are hoping betting and praying that oregon stays like that is way too much leverage on one school within the conference yeah but i think oregon you know oregon is to their to their credit they have made the playoff they play in the ncaa tournament and I th- actually think your Mark's comments were probably aimed right at people like you, Anna, who went to Oregon as like, oh, would Oregon go to the Big 12? It doesn't make any sense, Oregon in the Big 12. But it, but it goes to what Anna was saying is that, you know, or like the trust issue. The Pac-12 lost UCLA and USC, and there was no words about it. So what is – why should I trust the Pac-12 that they're going to keep Oregon when they are the one school that matters? So yeah. at any time, they could just leave to the Big 10, and then the Pac-12 is done. Like that's yeah. the part that I have a hard time with. Yeah, and I think Oregon's been quiet as well. I asked Rob Mullins uh, to do a and a I asked him to come on the show. He said, uh, I will, but he's not willing to do it now, which is <laughs> the conversation that we need to have now. Um, literally so, head in hand. Let's if he's do trying it. to be quiet about it, that makes me well, nervous too. I but I also think it's not his call, and his university president left. Like, the oh. AD's not making that decision. I know. That decision's happening at the university president level and in Phil Knight's living room. Okay, that's when that decision's <laughs> happening. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with the Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. NFL fans, we will have NFL Week 1 action. Right here on 750 The Game in Portland coming up just after 5 o'clock if you want to hear the NFL game. Buffalo taking on the defending Super Bowl champion Rams. Well done by the NFL to get that matchup. We talked about it yesterday. Um, NFL, like, the NFL does a number of things well. Like, I, I, I think their system encourages fans in every market, in every NFL market to have hope the beginning of the season small market large market the revenue sharing works the scheduling works the team with the best record has the hardest schedule the next year the team with the worst record has the easiest schedule the next season the team with the worst record gets the top pick team with the best record gets the last pick it is a very fair system like as a parent I'm looking at the NFL going this is this is parenting 101 the NFL gets it but another thing they do is they pay attention to what the public wants the season's going to start. The Buffalo Bills are one of the favorites, if not the favorite, to go to the Super Bowl. The Rams are coming off the Super Bowl. It just works. Do you guys, can we just, can we appreciate what the NFL is doing? Yeah, and I mean, they put together, uh, you know, Super Bowl champions versus the betting favorites in the Bills. They're two of the more exciting teams in the NFL. I mean, this is must-watch TV if you are a football fan. I mean, these are two of the best teams. So, yeah, they're doing it right, and... You know they make the they make the product very entertaining and a lot of points. So I'm in, man. 
Yeah, the NFL does a lot of things really well in comparison to other sports. I think it's the most fair sport. I think there's the most parity. We saw the Bengals last year who were not one of the top seeds make it all the way to the Super Bowl. And I think this year going into the season, there's probably, you know, I think 10 teams that could reasonably win the whole thing. So, you know, I don't think you can say that about many other sports. Do you guys believe Aaron Donald, apparently on May 9th, he he uh, decided he was going to retire. He sent a letter to the Rams announcing his retirement. Then, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the contract adjustment happened and, you know, he commits to the Super Bowl team another two years. Do you think he really was retiring or was he negotiating? I think 100% he wanted a new contract, and, and that's fine. You know, I, I think it's very common to do that nowadays, and he just said, you know what, if I don't get this contract, well, I'll retire. Well, what are the Rams going to do? Let him retire? You can't do that. He's one of the best players in the NFL. you got to give him that contract. So I think it was all just to get that new contract, and uh, good for him. You know, he's getting a lot of money at the defensive, you know, on the defensive line, which you don't necessarily get all that money. So awesome for Aaron Donald to do that. Here's what he did, okay? So he sends the contract to the Rams, basically saying, I've accomplished everything that I, or he sends a letter to the Rams, I've accomplished everything I, I wanted, eight Pro Bowls, three Defensive Player of the Year awards, now I have a Super Bowl championship, I'm at peace with my decision. But the problem is, the very next day, the Rams front office and Aaron Donald and Aaron Donald's agent already had a scheduled Zoom meeting. So he sends the letter knowing that he's got the Zoom meeting, like... Is that good negotiating, or do you have less respect for him? No, I'm fine with it. I mean, any way to any way to get as much money as you can, I, I'm okay with it. Um, I mean, that's not the way I would have done it, but uh, you know, it worked for it worked for him. Got forty million dollars out of it. Yeah, extra I mean, forty million. I guess maybe I should do it that way. That's my problem. There you go. Send a letter. I'm retiring during this commercial break. Yeah, and uh, I've done everything I came here to do. But May the ninth, he did that, and rumors went out. Of course, his agent probably told somebody who told somebody, but. Uh, all that went out, but I think it's really interesting to see a guy negotiating that. Uh, other games this week that you're looking forward to. If you can only watch one other game than the Buffalo Bills and Rams game tonight, which game are we watching this weekend, guys? Do we have to agree on it, or are we watching on separate TVs? I think separate TVs because my answer is going to be, uh, you know, my own selfish team that I root for. It's Dolphins versus Patriots. Um, I don't think I could talk any of you guys into that one, but I'm just so intrigued to see what Tua is going to look like and what the new new look Dolphins are going to look like this year. Objectively, you know, I might go Buccaneers, Cowboys. I might go Chargers, Raiders. I think that one's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think. Just the initial thought was Chargers, Raiders, or even the Broncos at the Seahawks. I know the Seahawks aren't very good, but I think it will be fun to watch Russell Wilson back in Seattle uh, on Monday night where usually they are pretty crazy up there on those Monday nights in Seattle. So I think those are the two games. Um, if I had to choose one, I probably would go with the Raiders Chargers, though. I think that's a you know budding rivalry, obviously, Justin Herbert, local ties. I think that's the one game I would watch. Are the Dolphins a playoff team, Sean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. They uh, The last couple of seasons, they've been over 500, and they had – no weapons. They had a banged-up quarterback. I think Tua's finally healthy. I think they got weapons around him. They have two of the best, most dynamic receivers in the NFL. They have a great defense, and they have a new head coach that's offensive-minded that I think is going to help Tua out. I think Tua can at least be G Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, I, I don't think he's a star, but I think he can be Jimmy Garoppolo. Their over-under is eight-and-a-half wins. They, they have the distinction of being the only team, as you mentioned, to finish above 500 in the last two seasons. 
and not make the postseason either season. So they're the only team that has done that in the last year. So will they miss the playoffs for a sixth straight season? Or will nine win? Will nine be enough to get them in? AFC is so good. I mean, well, man. not anymore because it's 17 games. So I think pretty much it's kind of 10 and 7. Nine and eight's be... not good enough. Yeah, you, I think 10's no. going to be 10's going to be good enough. I mean, man, you got all of the uh, AFC West. You've got the Bengals and the Ravens. You've got the Bills. Um, there's just there's so many good teams. Colts, Titans. The game I want to see is the Niners. I want to see if they can if Trey Lance going to be any good. Like I, I'm shocked that the Niners are being viewed as a top six team in the in the power polls that come out before the season. I'm seeing I expected them to drop some, be like tenth or so. That I I keep seeing them around five, six, and seven. I I don't get it. Why does that surprise you? They uh they made it all the way to the conference uh championship last year, and maybe they upgraded at quarterback. Yeah, maybe or but I watched the preseason. That's why, and I they, and their quarterbacks were running for their lives. They couldn't block. I, I don't know what's going to change. It's opening season now. It's opening day, and all of a sudden they're going to start blocking people. I I just don't. I think that you know they lost one of their offensive linemen via free agency. They had another guy retire. I just don't think they replaced the divots there, and now they're putting you know a young quarterback back there. That you know I I just I am bracing for uh, maybe a little bit of a fall off by the Niners this season. All right, leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Some of our affiliates will be joining uh, Thursday Night Football live coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Others will be carrying other stuff like this radio show. Andrew's in Portland. Andrew in Portland wants to talk about the NFL and Queen Elizabeth. Go ahead, Andrew. Hey, just to back up a little bit, I kind of was wondering, you know, what the reaction that I get from people kind of around the water cooler is the collective shrug over the passing of the UK monarch, and I wonder. Yeah, I can't hear you. Your phone's bad. Guys, do you know what he wanted to say? Yeah, I talked to Andrew on the phone. Okay, uh, what do you want to say? He was saying that the reason that they're doing the national anthem thing tonight, um, you know, with Queen Elizabeth, uh, or the moment of silence, I should say, is because um, the NFL might have a little bit of, you know, incentive to try to break into mm. England. They've been trying to do that for years. NFL London, NFL Europe, play games over there, put a team over there. So it's a conspiracy. Show business, not show friends. <laughs> the Queen, let's honor the Queen so that the good people there uh, understand we're serious about maybe making some money over there. That's what they're saying. Always money involved. You know, just disappointing. Just do things because it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. Don't do it. Like, don't let money be that driving force. But yet, alas, too often, we're in a situation like we are here with the uh, Queen's passing and the NFL Wanting to have this moment of silence tonight. Will you guys honor the Queen with a moment of silence as the NFL game kicks off? Or is that just for the people in the stadium? I will definitely uh, do it as well. I'll, I'll have a moment of silence. I'll probably be, you know, in my car or something. But uh, <laughs> I will be silent. I'll turn the radio down even at that point. It'll be yeah. completely silent in the car. No noises. Uh, here we go. I love it. There you go. Classy guy. See? That's why he's here. That's why you come to the show. Uh, coming up, we're going to do the 5 at 5. I have... Five wild stories that are taking place in sports. It, th- this five, uh, the five at five is pretty spicy, so I want you to leave it here for it. If you're reading me, you're reading me at johnconzano.com. That's where you find me. I've gone rogue. 
If you want to read me, read me at johnconzano.com. Uh, I love it. I feel like I'm in a one-on-one relationship with the listener or the reader in that sense. Um, if you know, The minute I file that column, it goes right to your email inbox. And I appreciate everybody who is already subscribed and following me. You can get a free subscription. You get a paid subscription. Do what's right for you. But make sure you go to johnconzano.com and make sure you sign up so you don't miss anything. You want to be there for it. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about the NFL, and I'll give you my five at five. And it is spicy. I'm not just saying that. I found five really good, interesting stories that I want you to know about. Going to make you smarter and make your drive, your commute, your run, whatever you're doing right now, a little more interesting. Home of the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m., 7.50 the game. It's 5 o'clock. Sean McVay was getting a contract extension. Now we know Les Snead, the general manager who worked in tandem with McVay to help lead this team to the Super Bowl title last year. He got one as well, both through 2026, both big money extensions to make them one of the highest paid coaches, one of the highest paid general managers in the NFL. The Rams, after winning the Super Bowl, have officially extended the contracts of head coach Sean McVay and general manager Les Snead through the 2026 season. Well, we got the new season tonight. The NFL's back. The betting favorites, the Buffalo Bills, come to L.A. to play the Rams. 520 kickoff. We'll have the game right here on 750. The game, Bills, two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. But some good news for the Rams as Matthew Stafford has said there will be no limitations tonight as he had an off-season procedure on his elbow to deal with pain he had his elbow the season ago and some more pain he had this training camp. Clemson football coach Dabo Swinney has agreed to an extension to stay at Clemson. The deal is 10 years, $115 million, making him the highest-paid coach in total compensation and second in per-year salary. From the Cascades to the coast, frost-brewed Coors Light is keeping Oregon and Washington sports fans chilled all season long. Coors Light, made to chill. Mr. Plywood, family-owned Mr. Plywood is here and ready to help with your home improvement projects, offering free local delivery with a minimum purchase, MrPlywoodInc.com. From the Beavers and Toyota Sports Desk, I'm Stephen Vaughn, 750 The Game. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Looking forward to 503 417 7575. I'll take your phone calls in this segment, but also I'm giving you the five at five. Five spicy stories that are going on right now. Let's take it away. The Five at Five. Well, Major League Baseball is going to look a little different if Major League Baseball has its way. That's right. They're talking about the introduction of a pitch clock, a ban on the defensive shift, and larger bases for next season. All of those things are expected to be approved in a vote that will take place tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Pacific time. The league has the power to push through the changes. The commissioner's office has the majority of seats on the sport's 11-person competition committee. It was newly formed this year as part of the collective bargaining agreement. Major League Baseball has six appointees on the panel. They can do whatever they want. The Players Association has four, and there's one umpire on the panel. They will decide this tomorrow morning. It's not clear how the Players Association will appoint their members of the committee but the pitch clock 
would require the catcher to be in the catcher's box, the hitter to have both feet in the batter's box. The timer will start when the pitcher has the ball. There's a 30-second clock between batters, except for the final out of an inning. By the way, pitchers who violate the clock, they get an automatic ball. Ball one. I didn't throw the ball. You took too long. That's number one in our five at five. Number two, it's Thursday night. We're getting NFL football. Buffalo Bills, Rams on NBC and right here on this radio station, 750 to game. They will play a football game, and it will count. The last time the Bills and the Rams met, September 26, 2020, the Bills won it 35-32. Should be that kind of game. Will, will be fun. Sounds like, uh, you know, we're getting the team that is coming off a championship that was won without them really even having a draft pick. They traded their picks for, for established players. Remember that? They had no first-round picks, and they still feel like they have a window. To win. That is number two. Number three, the college football playoff committee met. They talked about moving up the timeline for the expanded 12-team playoff. They want to do it as early as 2024, but they didn't get it done. Their focus is on the timetable. There's 10 commissioners, including the Pac-12's George Klyovkov, that are on this committee, plus Notre Dame's athletic director. They met for four and a half hours in a meeting room at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. These are the first discussions that they've had since the 11 presidents and chancellors who control the playoff voted last week to expand the field to 12. Feels like they're going to 12. Feels like there's a whole bunch of money involved in them going to 12. They're just trying to figure out, can they do it before 2026? I say yes, get it done. Number four in our five at five, Denver Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson. That doesn't sound right. I don't think it's going to look right this week. He confirmed that the Seahawks tried to trade him before this year. That's right. Remember Russell Wilson, how upset he was at the Seahawks like a year ago, year and a half ago, even before the blockbuster deal sent him to the Broncos in March? Five draft picks, two first-rounders, two second-rounders, three other players. It was a big move. Wilson confirmed to reporters today before practice that the Seahawks tried to trade him uh, you know, even before the 2018 draft. He said a couple of times they shopped him around. According to a source, he heard about that while attending the Super Bowl in 2021. And remember how unhappy he looked sitting in Roger Goodell's box? Remember the comments that Russell Wilson made after that Super Bowl? We watched Tom Brady win the Super Bowl and Everybody thought, gosh, you know, maybe Russell Wilson is, you know, just a guy who's out there, you know, looking at Brady going, hey, I need a change of scenery. Apparently, there's a lot more to it. Russell Wilson apparently uh, knew that he was on the trade block. Let's go back to 2021. Here's what he said. You know, the reality of, of professional sports is, you know, things happen, things change. I, you know, you know, I'm not sure. You know how how long I'll play in Seattle. I think hopefully hopefully it was gonna be you know be forever. You know, but things change obviously along the way, and I think that um, you, you focus on what you can control every day and try to be the best version of yourself, and and ultimately try to win championships. And I think that's you know that's why I play this game. That's in February of 2021. 
This is what he said today at practice. Familiar with the article that came out with ESPN. Don't know if you read it. It suggested that they tried to trade you in 2018, only seven years in the league. It suggested that you and your camp were very upset about that. How true is that? Uh, I definitely think they tried to, you know, a couple times and tried to see what was out there. It's part of the business and it's part of uh, being a professional and everything else. And uh, upset is probably the wrong word. Uh, I, I don't think. Uh, I don't think that, you know, I believe in my talent, who I am. You know, I believe I'm one of the best in the world. I don't worry about anything else other than that. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think at the same time, too, you know, I think my focus has always been on winning and, and what we can do and how we can add great players and everything else. And so, um, you know, I've got to play with some amazing guys, some of the world's best, and Dwayne Brown. Uh, you know, guys like Chris Carson, you know, unfortunately can't play anymore, but just a guy like that, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Um, Bobby Wagner, you know, Jamal Adams and, and Quandre Diggs, you know, so my focus is always on winning. That's that's really all that matters. So if upset isn't the right word, what is the right word? I, I didn't really pay attention to it, to be honest with you. It's part of professional sports, you know. Nah, I don't buy it. Remember? You remember that in February, that comment I played? You know, I think at the end of the day, you, you want to win. You know, I play this game every day to wake up to win. You play this game you know, to, to be the best in the world. You know, I, you know what I hate? I hate sitting there watching other guys play the game. I think nothing worse. By the way, you, you look miserable think, at the Super Bowl watching yeah, the game. Yeah, there's a picture of Sierra and Roger talking. I'm sitting there well, I'm watching this game, like, you know, wishing that I was in there uh, playing. Oh, there was something to it. February of 2021, Dan Patrick was talking about it. So was Jim Rome. Check out this tweet from my guy, JLC, yesterday. Quote, I'm hearing Russell Wilson's camp has grown increasingly frustrated by the Seahawks' inability to protect the eight-time Pro Bowler. He's been sacked 394 times in nine seasons. This situation warrants serious monitoring. End of tweet. Uh Uh-oh! Evidently, 12s, Russ is getting tired of trying to cook while on his back Every Sunday, staring up into the sky. And you know what? Who the hell can blame him? Eventually, he was traded. But remember Pete Carroll and the Seahawks all along? The kind of conversation we have behind the scenes are not in, in line with the rumors. Okay? There you go. No, they're not at all. We, we've been talking. We've been together and connected throughout this whole this whole season. And uh, that's why it's, it's easy to dismiss, to dismiss those at this time. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Finally, fifth thing in our five at five, Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott says, it's got to be the shoes, Mars. Prescott was a limited participant in practice today because of a new pair of cleats. Apparently, they made his surgically repaired right ankle feel uncomfortable. Prescott says he's great, but he had a light workload on Thursday. He's going to have a light workload on Friday. He says come Saturday he'll be rolling, but they will kick off the season Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at AT&T Stadium. Remember, he had a compound fracture. He had a dislocation of the right ankle. He did not have an issue with it last year. He only missed one game. He had a calf strain, but keep an eye on Dak Prescott's ankle. Seems to be bothering him. That's the five at five. Guys, uh... Russell Wilson, Seahawks thing. Why are we unpacking this now? Why is this coming out now? Yeah, it seems like weird timing, but I really have no idea, John. I have no idea why we're unpacking it now, but it it just is mind-boggling that the Seahawks wanted to get rid of this guy when he's going to probably be a Hall of Famer. He's a really good quarterback. 
and they just you know they wanted to get rid of him. It's just it's just weird to me. We're unpacking it now because the NFL's genius because they scheduled the Seahawks and Broncos yeah. at, right after the Seahawks traded him. Yeah, they got the scheduling right. Uh, I know this. Like I I think. It's kind of been in the DNA of Vulcan Inc., the mothership that owns the Seahawks, owns the Blazers over the years. Uh, I remember when Brandon Roy got that max contract that the Blazers offered him. Now, it ended up not being a good deal, but prior to giving him the max contract, I was told by uh, a Blazers management source that the Blazers shopped Brandon Roy. But they shopped him not necessarily wanting to trade him. They shopped him trying to gauge if, what kind of interest there was in him. And then when they said, oh, there's big-time interest, they turned around and they gave him the max deal. Is it? I guess it's within the contractual right of the Seahawks to shop Russell Wilson, but I, I just feel like they blew this relationship because you know, we all saw how disappointed Russell Wilson was, and ultimately it ended up with his departure. I think... Frankly, them shopping him around in 2018 caused him eventually to have to leave. Yeah, and it's for the most important position in all sports, right? Quarterback of an NFL team. That's the most important position. I'm not against teams you know, going out and seeing what you can get for star players. I've said that numerous times about Portland and Damian Lillard. Like, they need to try to see what his value is on the open market. But at the same time, maybe keep that. try to keep it a little hush-hush as much as you can and don't let it get out like uh, the Seahawks did. Mark in Portland has called in. I've asked what NFL game you're looking forward to. Mark, what's the game? Uh, look, you might be the uh, the only radio outlet uh, west of Florida that cares about the uh, Marcus Mariota famous Jameis Winston matchup this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and that, the, the NFL got that one right too. That's going to be fun. I'm trying to poke, I'm trying to poke the Mike Bear out there too. Because I get him all fired up. Maybe he'll actually watch a game before he calls your show and comments. Yeah. Uh, Mariota will be playing in the league long, long after Jameis Winston's done. Yeah. I, 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 even though he has less talent, I'm, my question to you guys is I don't even know where the game's at, but I'm assuming New Orleans is, is going to be the favorite. So Mariota on the money line. Is that a Mar dumb play? <laughs> Marcus Mariota, by the way, has come out this week, and he said he told Jameis Winston that he is one of his biggest fans. Is that classy? Oh wow! Well, yeah, because he yeah. beat him fifty-nine to twenty, and he had a record-breaking <laughs> performance his first year as quarterback. No quarterback has ever played better in a first game than Marcus Mariota. He was up thirty-five to six at halftime. What do you say, a, Mark? What do you say? Awesome. I was in Vegas watching that game. It was I a was beautiful in, thing. I was in Atlanta, and a lot of the Atlanta fans are viewing Marcus Mariota as a placeholder. What do you say to them? I don't. I don't. I think he's a, an athlete with the potential of being a great passer. I think. I think he gives you the X factor. I think. I think he's underrated. I really do. I mean, what did he do in Vegas when he was asked to play? He did a great job as a backup quarterback. He's. He's. Uh, uh, God, I hate to say this, but I think he's like the opposite of Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> he's okay with being a backup quarterback, or he's he's the opposite. He's no baggage at all on your team. He he was a he was an asset as a backup quarterback, and a lot of times that's not yeah. the case. The backup really wants the job of the yeah. guy in front of him. Yeah, we heard but, that on today's show. We got Stephen and Sean angling for this microphone that's in front of me. Um, don't worry, guys. I will have some vacation during college football season or the NFL. We'll make sure of it. You deserve the reps. That's what I'm saying. Um, all right, we're going to join NFL Thursday Night Football coming up in a few minutes. 
here in Portland on 750 The Game. If you're in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene, stick around and stay tuned. You will hear some analysis on the Pac-12 front, plus uh, what is going on with the college football playoffs. So I want you to be here for that. I appreciate everybody who makes this radio show part of their day. Uh, we are going to be back tomorrow, for those of you who are departing the show. We'll be back tomorrow with a great Friday show that will set up the weekend. What do we need to see from Oregon against Eastern Washington, other than a win? What do we need to see from Oregon State? What does Chance Nolan need to do to win at Bulldog Stadium, the Red Oven, as we're calling it here on this show? Um, don't steal that from us. We need to trademark that right away. Uh, but uh, for those of you who want to stick around for NFL football here in Portland on 750 The Game, you're going to hear the Buffalo Bills and the Rams kick off the season in a lid lifter that should be uh, everything that is billed as. I uh, appreciate you making this radio show part of your day. Stick around in Eugene on 1050 AM. The bald-faced truth for the rest of you is not here for a long time, just a good time. I uh, hope everybody has a great evening. And uh, I got the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I'm on record. There it is. John Canzano. We're going to start with Roy. Hey, John. To me, it's like, yes, we got better players at Georgia, but not 48-3 to three better players, okay? If Kirby wouldn't have pulled, if they wouldn't have pulled out the starters in the second half, I totally believe we could have scored 100 points on Oregon. I really believe it. I really believe we could have scored, if we would have kept the starters in, from the beginning to the end, we would have scored 100 points on Jeff. 100 points. The Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Now, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. On 750 The Game. Hey, it's Gonzano here on behalf of the Shoemill Shoe Stores. Portland to Salem and online at Shoemill.com. The Shoemill experience, well, I'm telling you, it's a great experience. Get into the Shoemill Shoe Stores and you understand what I'm talking about. The Hubber family, third generation at the Shoemill Shoe Stores, they do it right. The customer service experience from start to finish is unmatched. They will get you in comfortable, high-quality shoes, and they'll do it with a smile. Shoemill, they put the world at your feet. Nothing brings people together like football. Open early for breakfast at 9 a.m. every Saturday and Sunday morning for all the college and pro football games. Root for your favorite teams at Portland's number one destination sports bar. 33 high-def TVs, local beers on 20 taps, craft cocktails, all the games, and all the action. The Independent Sports Bar and Grill, 225 Southwest Broadway. Ask them about reserving the Indies Man Cave for private parties for up to 30 people. Online at independentpdx.com to find out more. Got issues with youth or high school sports? Positive Coaching Alliance can help. PCA, a national nonprofit, offers more than a thousand free online resources for youth and high school sports coaches, parents, students, and administrators.